We're going to go on a bit of a journey here this evening. We are going to look at a few threads and draw them together. I think any good story has a number of different threads going on at the same time, and it culminates in that moment where you go, ah, that makes sense. So you're going to have to listen. (laughs) Sorry. You're going to have to stick with me because there are a number of threads here which are going to come together in the words where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And there is historical significance, which I think uh, testifies to the beauty of scripture. And there is contemporary significance for us today. But because scripture is beautiful, it has woven all of these different thoughts together in the name of Jesus. I am the light of the world. But first, a story, a story which is deeply embarrassing for me. Um, well, it's not, it's okay. But a few months ago, I was traveling uh, to London to see my brother, and, we've, and I flew into Gatwick, uh, and Abby's laughing, I can see her laughing away. Um, I flew into Gatwick, and I haven't traveled in, a, in quite a long time. If we've traveled off island, it's normally been by boat, and so I haven't flown. Um, and so, uh, since, I don't know if you've ever, have you flown into Gatwick recently and it's, it's changed the way in which you get your bags? Yeah, some nods, okay. Um, and I, I've, I, I got onto the plane and I was in that, that seat right at the front of the pain, plane. You know where you get the fire, the emergency exit and they say, are you, are you sure you're okay to be here? I'm like, are you sure I'm okay to be here? No, um, but I said, yeah, absolutely, I get, the, I get the space in front of me, it's great, I get, the, I get the, to relax, and it was brilliant, nice flight, got there on the jet, super fast, and, uh, and I, because I was the first on the flight, I was the fir- the fir- at the front of the flight, I was the first off the flight, and because I'm quite, I can be quite proud, I like to, you know, I like to confidently stroll forward. Everyone else seems to walk confidently through airports. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I do that as well. And so I'm confidently going through this airport and I'm walking down the corridors uh, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get to this room in a moment where you've got this massive room with conveyor belts and that's where I'm going to get my luggage. Uh, all, the, all the while, as I'm charging towards that room, I'm passing signs saying, have you got your bag yet? You can see where this is going. Anyway, go up this escalator and I arrive in this room. And it's not the room with um, conveyor belts, it's the room with the check-in desks. And I've gone too far. I, and, and for all my trying, I could not get back to my bag. Apparently, along the way from the plane to where the check-in desks are, I was meant to pick up my bag somewhere. But there's nothing's moving, no signage. Well, there was lots of signage. I just took zero notice of it. Um, and anyway, I, I, I end up in this room. And it's the last flight of the day. There's no Orini staff present because they just want to go home. Uh, and there's no one to help. And so I walk around this giant check-in room. And technology is great, isn't it? But it is increasingly getting more difficult to pin anybody down, to find out the information that you need to know. And so I walk around this room for about half an hour saying, look, can I speak to this person? They're like, go down here, they go over here. I'm going back and forth. Anyway. Long story short, I find a woman in the corner of this gigantic room, this really sweet South African lady, and I go up to her uh, and I say, uh, I had to swallow my pride and say, I am completely lost as what to do. (laughs) I've not got my bag. I don't know what I'm meant to do. How do I get it back? I need your help. 
And I think I've said it before, but what's worse than death for an Englishman? (laughs) Embarrassment. Yeah, embarrassment. And I think it speaks of a little bit of pride, doesn't it? It speaks of my pride. I hate being embarrassed. We've spoken of threads. Hold that thread. We're going to come back to it. You see, we are living in a time of many chaotic cultural changes. We are living through unprecedented technological advancement and progression. And it's difficult for us to keep up sometimes, isn't it? I mean, just this week, I was reading about these orbs that scan your retinas. Did anyone else read that? That scan your retinas, your eyes, and they, put, they give you cryptocurrency in return. And it's I just, I, I mean, it's... It's just beyond me, really, but uh, we live in a time of AI and machine learning, and we have to navigate how to, to move forward in, in that technology with discernment and wisdom. Out of a pandemic of COVID, we have, find ourselves, I think, in a pandemic of anxiety and isolation. In a 2017 study, this is before COVID, it, it was found that those aged 19 to 32 were three times more likely to experience isolation with high social media use. You know that? Um, in 2020, June, a CDC study suggested that one in four, one in four, 18 to 24-year-olds have considered suicide. Harvard Youth Polo study of 2021 states that out of a sample of 2,513 18 to 29-year-old Americans, said that over a two-week period, they have experienced several days of feeling down, depressed, and hopeless. For all our technological advancement, for all of the, uh, the progression that we see in the news and the world around us, we have not advanced uh, or given space to advance, I think, in that emotionally. Modernity and technological enlightenment are pressing us forward, but it has come at a cost, I think. And the cost, I think, is, is that of social and emotional well-being. We have to enter, enter into this time as Christians with wisdom, discernment, I think. Because there is that faint hum. Uh, I recognize it. I've spoken to friends who recognize it. The faint hum of anxiety that has become the soundtrack to many of our lives. And is this really how it's meant to be? When God in Genesis, can, you, can anyone tell me what God said when he, he created the world and he looked back? What did he say? It is good. It is good. And the word used for good is tov, and that means good, whole, right, as it was designed, as it was predestined to be. When we look at the world around us, is this good? Is this tove? For all the enlightenment, it all feels a bit dark, doesn't it? And sorry, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put a downer on you. <laughs> but we have to recognize that to some degree, we are still scrambling around in darkness. As our world, and perhaps even some of us, or all of us here today, Hold that, thread number two. Okay, thread three. If you follow Jesus, then the reality is is that the promised land still lies ahead of us. Here and now, we are called to live, cheery again I know, as exiles, 
as sojourners and travelers. If you've ever experienced, I know we're really blessed at this church to have many people from all over the, all over the world who wouldn't call Guernsey as, as the place that they were brought up with. They might call it home now, but at one time it was not their home. And if you've ever experienced that firsthand, you'll know the, the cultural differences that you experience when, it, when you come into a new context, a new place, a new people, a new way of doing things. There are things that put you at odds with the world around you. For instance, I've got an American brother-in-law, and a few years ago we went to go visit them uh, in New Jersey, uh, and uh, which was great, it was lovely, um, but it's, it's so interesting. We've got, we share the same language, and yet we are, there is deep cultural differences in the way in which we interpret humor, or the way in which we might, kind of like the thought, it's, it's love them, bless them, but we're different. It puts us at odds sometimes. 1 Peter 2, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against yourself. There is a recognition in 1 Peter that we are to live as foreigners and strangers in that world. That feeling like we are at odds with the world around us. We are called to live as sojourners. And that means that the world that we live in now is not our home. And we can live right now, we could maybe interpret our place in this world as an almost contemporary wilderness. That's a cheery thought, isn't it? (laughs) Sorry, it's not all downer. (laughs) The promises, because the promises of God are a real home. The promises of God are a real home. We can see it, what do I mean by that? We can see it on the horizon we can, we can kind of glimpse it in part. Uh, we can taste it in part, but not fully savor it. Uh, John Piper talks about it like this. It has colored all our values and goals and desires. We have been put out of sync with this world because our treasure, the promises of God, our treasure is in heaven. Our treasure is in eternity. It is in the world to come. It is not for here and now. Our treasure lies in heaven. Our home is in heaven. And all of this talk of sojourners and promised lands is probably going to remind you of something, I'd imagine. Uh, As people who've been in church for a long time, you'll know a lot of these stories. Um, It's going to remind us, I think, a little something called the Exodus. We read from Exodus just a minute ago. So if you have your Bibles, please do open it up to 13, Exodus 13, 20 to 22. Actually, Anna, would you mind putting it on the screen again for us? Is that okay? Oh, look at that. Amazing. Technology, hey? <laughs> for, all the, for all the downers of technology. <laughs> if you know this story, uh, or if you don't know this story, God has, to this point, uh, sent plagues upon Egypt who, uh, who have held Israel, the people of God, captive as slaves working and, and toiling under, the, under Pharaoh. And Moses has gone before Pharaoh and demanded that Israel be set free. And uh, Pharaoh has denied and said no. And God has sent plagues. And eventually Pharaoh was worn down enough that he's like, please leave me alone. And so he lets the Israel go. He lets the people of God go but he hunts them down he pursues them and he's desperate to kill them for they're just not willing to be part of his kingdom I guess Um, uh, and this is where we take it up the Israelites are 
are heading out yet to um, go across the Red Sea. But after leaving Sokoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And later, I just find this really interesting, it's a bit geeky, but um, the pillar of cloud, when they go across the Red Sea, the, the seas are parted, when they start to make their way through, the pillar of cloud goes behind them, and so does the angel of the Lord, who is then described as light. I think that's an interesting reference. There's no direct thing to say that, is, that the angel of the, or the Lord is the pillar of fire. I think it's interesting, though. Um, and I can hear you saying... Uh, James, this is all well and good. This is great. But what has this got to do with Jesus? The pillar of fires and pillars of cloud and exoduses. Let's bring these threads together. Let's fast forward to uh, John 7. And we've got the Jews living under um, Roman oppression and they are at the Feast of Tabernacles. Any ever heard of that before? The Feast of Tabernacles. And it was a place, it was a time to remember that story that we've just read about in Exodus of, of God's faithfulness to Israel in the wilderness, him leading them by fire and by cloud. And this uh, ceremony um, reminded them of uh, their time living in tents and walking by the light of God. It was a celebration of God's leading and his presence with them. So imagine it a little bit. This week, actually, people right now are at New Wine. Has anyone been to New Wine before here? Some some nods, or maybe Glastonbury, gathered around the pyramid, no, <laughs> the pyramid stage, no. Um, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles was a ceremony called the Illumination of the Temple. Have you got the, the slides just of, lovely, that's it. In your mind, I want you to imagine entering the temple grounds, and you come in through the court of the Gentiles. You go in up the steps, you see that's on the right-hand side, go through the beautiful gate, and you head into the court of the women. Now that's where we're going to stay. In the court of the women were four, you can see them blazing away there, four giant lampstands. And in the illumination of the temple, they would light these lampstands. And it would be a symbol of uh, remembrance, of God's uh, lighting their way, the pillars of fire in the wilderness, and giving them a way in which to walk. It provided a visibility and it illuminated the whole temple ground. And this, this moment, or maybe a day or a day after, is the, is the moment in which Jesus says the words, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. For the Jewish people there, they would have immediately understood the relevance of what he was saying. He's saying, I am the pillar of light that guides you in the wilderness. Follow me. And you can imagine some saying, how dare this guy? We may even think that today. In the inclusivity of our culture, Jesus exclusively says, I am the way. You are walking in darkness. I am the light. It's It's exclusive. He's saying, if you want to be truly enlightened in life, then you must follow him. 
everything else will leave you in darkness. And it gets people really mad. Just in the section after um, uh, I am the light of the world that Jesus says, the the religious leaders, they say to him, how can you testify this about yourself? And, And he says, well, he says, I testify it with the Father. The Father testifies it over me, where two people have a testimony that should stand in your legal thing. You don't need to know that. But it's interesting. Um, it gets people really mad. And why do you think it gets people mad? Because it demands that they must admit that they are in darkness. And it must uh, it, it makes people. It, it, it demands that people recognise that uh, they must have humility to be led out of that darkness. We've got to get this. This is not just a statement about who Jesus is, but an invitation to follow. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The life of a believer is a life following the light through the wilderness through the exodus. Otherwise, we are lost in darkness. We're lost in the darkness of the world around us. And we can come to church, can't we? We can say all the right things. We can raise our hands at the right time. We can do all the right stuff. But unless we follow Jesus, we will remain in darkness. It hurts our pride. It requires us to recognize our need. And here's that thread one again. It requires us, just like me in airport terminal at Gatwick, desperate for my luggage back, it demands me to say, I am totally lost. No wonder the world hates him. And no wonder the world thinks we're fools. When we follow the light, he brings us into life. He is the light of life. He brings us out of spiritual darkness into wide, open, abundant, generous spaces, into tove spaces. He brings us out of spiritual death, parting the seas of our sin, and into the promised land of intimacy with him. Jesus is the, the pillar of fire before you. He is the fire that burns up all your darkness and all your sin. And even now as you sit here or you listen online, he is leading you towards the promised land of intimacy with him, of being face to face with him. When we light a candle, I'm going to do it now, When we light a candle, probably can't see that just from there. Let me turn that around a little bit. When we light a candle, darkness doesn't take time to disappear, does it? Yeah, I know it's, there's bright lights everywhere, but when we light a candle, the, dark, the darkness around here is instantly gone. When you decide to follow Jesus, the darkness in, your sin, in you, your sin, is dealt with instantly. We call that justification. But light is also indiscriminate in what it lights up. Light has the tendency to highlight the beauty around us, doesn't it? But it also can show the flaws and imperfections. You might think about it like this. I'm a big uh, lover of mood lighting. 
I feel Abby's smiling, rolling her eyes. She knows where this is going. Each evening, I spend time getting the lighting just right. I like to close the blinds. If I'm in, I like to close the blinds. I might light a candle or two. I like the fragrance. I like, I don't, I like soft lighting. I don't want harsh lighting from above. And um, when Abby and I first got married, uh, I quickly encountered that Abby is not like that at all. <laughs> she, has, she doesn't care. She had blinds open, all the lights on, watching her favorite show. It's great. That's great. But... Abby was not bothered by the ambient lighting at all. All the ceiling lights were on. Now, the trouble with turning on all the lights is that everything becomes a little more stark and even harsh. When I turn on all the lights, guess what I see? I see all the dusting I've got to do. I see all the washing that's yet to be folded away. Abby's like, like, I do that. Or the dishes that are stacking up in the sink. There you go. When Jesus lights up our darkness, we become aware of our imperfections. We see the stuff that we'd rather not. The ugly stuff in our life. And with Jesus, and I state with Jesus, can't do it on your own, we begin the lifelong journey of sorting through that stuff. And we call that sanctification. It's ugly. It's ugly, but the process is beautiful. John Piper again says this. When this light comes, it not only makes sin plain as foreign and ugly, but it also makes everything good in the world shine with its full and true beauty. I think as exiles, as sojourners of this world, as those waiting for for Tov, as those waiting for home in heaven and promises beyond in eternity, that we are called as exiles to stumble towards eternity. And that will be the reality for all of us in this room, stumbling towards eternity. But we are definitely confident about where we're going. We're headed home. And we're returning to that which is Tov. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it is an invitation to follow him. To follow him. To be justified, to be sanctified, and to one day be glorified with God in heaven. To follow him through the wilderness of our world here and today. And so don't hold on to this world too tightly. Don't hold on to treasures. Don't hold on to success and don't hold on to failures. Don't hold, just hold on to Jesus. Because in the meantime, he sets us a task. Uh, band, if you want to start making your way back up, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, Matthew 5 says this. So this is Jesus speaking. He says, you are the light of the world. Hang on. Jesus just said, he is the light of the world. Now Jesus is saying that we are the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Did Jesus just kind of like contradict himself? 
Is that what you just is that what just happened? I think when you spend time with Jesus, we become more like him. When we are with the light, we become a light. It's not rocket science. When we study the word, when we learn to walk at his pace, that we've talked about it in past weeks, the slow and steady pace of love, when we pray and meditate upon his scandalous grace and, and, and often uh, thank him and, and weep for the things that he weeps on and about and, 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 and try to emulate Jesus, when we do all of those things, we become a light for others. For some of us, that's exciting. For others, I'd imagine that's pretty terrifying. I find that terrifying. Perhaps you feel like your light isn't very bright, or maybe you're so ashamed of his light in your life that you hide it under a bowl. And I've been there. In a moment, this is really C of E, this is really Church of England, so in a moment what we're going to do is we're going to light some candles. I'm going to invite you to come up here as the band just play instrumentally to light a candle next to Jesus, the light of the world. And there's nothing magical about this. There's nothing that's going to... The light bulb might switch on. Sorry, that's a light pun. Um, But it's an opportunity, I think, to reflect. uh, and And I'd just like to pose some questions to you. Why don't you reflect upon these questions as we just come to light some candles? Am I following the light of the world? Am I following the light of the world? Where does God need to light up my life? Am I being a light to others? Am I covering up my light? And as I say, you might be here, Christian of 50 years. You might be here just for the first time thinking, who is this Jesus? I'd just, to every single one of us, I'd, I'd really encourage you to ask the same questions. Am I following the light of the world? Where does God need to light up my life? Am I being a light to others? Am I covering up my light?